Welcome to Spark, everybody. Um, we are glad you're here. Welcome to week 42. Yes, we are keeping count. We're in the middle of a series entitled Genesis. So grab your Bibles, and we're going to be in Genesis chapter 1. I'm going to share with you our third installment from this series. And if you've missed any of the previous series, they're going to be online at our website at sparkchurch.net. So make sure that you check those out if you missed them. <clears throat> Last, um, we started off in Genesis chapter 1. Actually, I'll take one of those. <laughs> um, we started off in Genesis chapter 1, and I shared a message entitled, We All Need a Better Story, or What Story Are You Living? And we talked about the creation narrative of Genesis and how that kind of measures up and compares a little bit to other ways in which people think about this universe, think about this world. And we ended on the message that we all need a better story, and Genesis is that story. And we all tell ourselves stories that we live by, um, stories of chaos, stories of failure, stories of accomplishment, whatever those stories are. And every single one of us, if we're not living the Genesis story, we need a better story than the one that we're living. And Genesis Genesis is that story, a story of beautiful movement from chaos to creation, from disorder to function and meaning and purpose. And last week, Danielle gave a message entitled, Let There Be in the Power of Words and Speaking, and how God creates this entire universe through the words that he speaks. And God said, let there be. And not only let there be, but it actually became, and it was really, really Good. And she had some quotes that I just wanted to remind us of because it, I think with the speaking and the words and God creating with words and our ability to speak words into this world to create, we can never be reminded enough just how powerful our words are in every aspect of life, whether it's in work relationships, parent-child relationships, marriage relationships, or just friendships, the words that you speak are extremely powerful. So I love this quote from Fred Rogers. The place between my mouth and another person's ears is holy ground. So take off your shoes every time you talk to somebody um, and speak to them with the awareness that that is holy ground. And some words, once having been uttered, gain eternity and can never be withdrawn. So we must be very, very thoughtful and careful with the words that we speak. Today I want to share with you a message that I'm uh, titling over the chaos from Genesis chapter 1. So if you're there, I'm sure you have this memorized by now so we can all say it in our hearts and our minds together. It's just going to be the first two verses of Genesis and uh, we'll begin and conclude our reading there. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And we will conclude our reading there. <laughs> now, we've, we've talked a little bit about the grand scale of Genesis 1 as a story, and today what I want to do is focus in on this one specific phrase, and the Spirit, or the wind, or the breath of God hovered over the face of the waters. Now, to start with, we must understand that, again, our conception or our idea of how this beginning gets started, oftentimes, if we're uh, going through Sunday school or if we're just learning, it starts with perfection. God created ex everything exactly the way it was supposed to be. But if we read this opening verse carefully, the earth wasn't exactly the way it was supposed to be. In fact, the earth was, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, and as you've heard us talk about before, tohu vavohu. Remember that? Christine remembers that. Tohu vavohu, which means 
formless and empty and chaotic, and it doesn't have any form. And then it goes on to say that the, the darkness was over the surface of the deep. And then this phrase, the Spirit of God, or it can be the wind or the breath of God, hovered over the face of the waters. And so because this opening passage starts with phraseology that isn't perfection or isn't the goodness that is coming, God has not yet spoken, at least in the narrative. He doesn't speak until verse 3. Then this way of thinking about the beginning actually starts off with things not being great. And that's something quite different and maybe there's something profound there that, we, that I'll hopefully try to illuminate a little bit for us. The beginning of the story doesn't start off with things being just absolutely perfect the way they're supposed to be. And so this word waters, or the word that we use for waters, has come to symbolize throughout uh, Jewish history as chaos. In fact, you'll find waters all throughout the scriptures as being used as a barrier. And we'll talk about those in a a moment. Um, That the waters are now this symbol and parallel with the idea of chaos. Uh, Things that don't have form. Things that could cause a lot of destruction. And things, if we think about it in our day and age, think about the events that have happened just in our modern Era. Think about the tsunami that happened in Indonesia or the tsunami that happened in Japan or perhaps the hurricane in New York and, of course, Katrina down in Louisiana. So water has this weird paradoxical uh, meaning where water is living water. It's a beautiful thing. We need water to survive. And yet the flip side of this picture of water is one of destruction, one of chaos, uh, one of something that is causing things to go into disrepair. The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the, the waters, that symbol of things not being great. We see that symbolism carry through to the story of Moses and to the story of Joshua. And both of those stories, they have to cross what in order to get somewhere? They have to cross water. So the water becomes, this again, this perpetual symbol of chaos or perpetual symbol of something not being the way it's supposed to be. And you have to cross or go through or get past that barrier in order to get to the promised land or, or in order to get to the place that God wants you to be. And then that comes into play in the Gospels with Jesus. He's walking on the face of the waters. In Matthew chapter 14, if you remember the story, they're out there and they're in the storm and they're concerned because the storm is kicking up and water is sloshing all over the place. And they see Jesus coming and walking out on the water, a very famous passage where Jesus is walking on the water. And they think he is a what? They think he's a ghost. Why? Because chaos comes from the water. And this little picture uh, is of things are not right the way that they're supposed to be. And, of course, that falls into the symbolism of the story of Noah and the ark. Because a little nugget here, a little side note. Jesus is walking on the water in order to bring peace and calm to the chaos. What is the ark doing on the water? Is there another place where something is walking on the water? If you read carefully... The original Hebrew talks about the Ark of uh, Noah or the Teva is walking on the face of the waters. So there might be a beautiful connection even there. 
Now, this phrase that we have in Genesis chapter 1, and the spirit and the wind and breath of God hovered over the face of the waters. Now, every time I get to this verse and every time I hear the word hover, I think of my good friend Gary over here because many years ago we started learning Hebrew and the word merachethet in Hebrew uh, is means hover or means to flutter over. And I have this picture of Gary doing this little thing as a chicken over the eggs or over this little thing that he has. So every time I hear the word hover, I think of a little bird doing this little motion right here. And now every time you think of Genesis chapter 1, you can have a picture of me doing this little funny motion over, over here. Why is that the motion? Why is that the picture? Well, first of all, it's great pedagogy. It's a great way to learn a language. So like, every time you see hovering, you, know, you just kind of picture this little thing. And then um, it's also because this word rachaf in Hebrew only shows up three times in the scriptures. And the first time it's in Genesis chapter 1, the second time it's in Deuteronomy 32, and the third time it's in Jeremiah chapter 23. I want to read for you this Deuteronomy passage in chapter 32 because it illuminates something that might help us picture what's going on in Genesis chapter 1. Using other passages where these words show up oftentimes give us a little bit of a better picture. Deuteronomy chapter 32. I will start in, uh, let's see, let's start in verse 7, and then we'll get to verse 11. Remember the days of old. Consider the generations long past. Ask your father and he will tell you, your elders, and they will explain to you. When the Most High gave the nations their inheritance, when he divided all mankind... He set up boundaries for the people according to the numbers of the sons of Israel. For the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob, his allotted inheritance. In a desert land, he found him. In a barren and howling waste, he shielded him and cared for him. He guarded him as the apple of his eye, like an eagle that stirs up its nest and hovers. Same word. Over its young that spreads its wings to catch them and carries them aloft. The Lord alone led him. No foreign God was with him. Let let me read verse 10 and 11 and 12 again, because this is where this word kind of illuminates a little bit. What, What other connotations, what other meanings could we bring up? In a desert land, does that sound like flourishing? In a desert land, he found him. In a barren and howling waste. He, God what? Shielded him, cared for him, guarded him as the apple of his eye, like an eagle that stirs up its nest and hovers over its young, that spreads its wings to catch them and carries them aloft. The Lord alone led him. No foreign God was with him. Do you see the parallel imagery that's going on there? There's a barren, there's a waste, there's a desert land where things are not the way they're supposed to be. But God is there shielding, caring, guarding like an eagle, hovering, and there's that image again, hovering over its young. So here's the image of hovering like an eagle that cares for hovers over, takes guards over its young, like people who are in a desert land. 
Now, I want to share with you, just because it's kind of fun, and those of you who have been to Israel with us know, that the word nesher in Hebrew, which is that word for eagle, actually probably means vulture. So like a vulture, which is a completely different kind of image for us Americans, right? We don't have this wonderful grand image of, of an eagle, but it most likely means vulture. But this picture, it's hilarious, I know. Yeah, it's, it's about the funniest thing he's heard all week. <laughs> <laughs> now this picture, this is, <laughs> oh, okay, let's pray. Uh, it's over now. <laughs> so stinking cute. So this image of an eagle, or this image of a vulture hovering over its young, if we take that image from Deuteronomy 32 and kind of extrapolate a little bit some meaning, This word for hovering or fluttering could possibly have these meanings of caring, protecting, or maybe even incubating, like like an eagle over its eggs, or the word breathing new life into whatever it is that is coming over. Very similar, oh, I put that picture up, very similar to this image right here. And think about a bird that instinctually, that cares for, takes notice of, spends time in detail, making sure that all is well, making sure that everything is put into place, making sure that even in the struggle of coming out of the egg or even in the struggle of coming into this new life or whatever it is, the bird, the eagle, the vulture is there hovering, fluttering, caring, protecting over its young. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth, unfortunately, was tohu vavohu, formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. But the spirit of God, the breath of God, the wind of God was hovering over the waters. Hovering over the chaos. Caring for, protecting maybe even incubating new life. A couple things I want to share with you out of this. Number one, this beginning story does not give any reasonable explanation for the chaos. It doesn't describe to you exactly the purposes for the chaos. This opening story and this opening narrative accept the reality of chaos. It it, it recognizes that there's some dysfunction. It recognizes that things aren't the way they're supposed to be. It recognizes formlessness and emptiness, darkness, chaos in the waters. It recognizes this. And secondly, which I think is really important, there is no blaming for the chaos. And I think that's a stark perspective that we should see because the blaming only comes later in Genesis chapter 3, but not here. This chaos... This disruption, there's no reasonable explanation. It's not trying to tell you exactly why it is there, and it's not blaming anybody for it. But what is there in this hovering is redemption, salvation, hope. And in verse 3 from Genesis, out of the spirit hovering over this chaos, there's a new life, a new creation that comes up 
out of this chaos. Are you with me so far? This is really important. No blaming, no reasonable explanation for the chaos, but there is a purposeful bringing forth a new life out of that chaos as the Spirit of God hovers over it. Now, that's really, really important. Why? Think about this for a second. Let's go back to this image or these images. So often in our contemporary Christian context or even in any religious context, when these things happen, what is one of the most prominent and loud and pervasive impulses of Christianity or of religious people that you often see on the news? You don't even have to say it, right? You already know that one of the things that happens is as soon as things happen like this, that we see chaos happen, that we see destruction happen, you already know the voices in your head that you've seen and you've heard on the news causing or putting blame upon particular peoples or particular sins or particular things that are happening and say, it's because of that that God is doing this. Now, that to me, I would suggest, is a pretty stark contrast between what's going on in Genesis 1 and what it is that we have inherited. Now, we all have that impulse. Why? Because we want to reason, we want to rationale, we want to try to figure out. And this isn't talking about understanding cause and effect and consequences. That's a different thing, what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is blaming and shaming and putting full responsibility on groups of people or individuals. And the reason why you're going through this chaos is because of... And then you point to something that that person is or point to something that that person does. This is an impulse that happens in almost every area of chaos for our lives. And um, for those of you who have experienced divorce or are children of divorce, in fact, I'm a child of divorce. My parents got divorced. And one of the things that you tell children or you try to tell children, one of the first things that you say to them is, it's not your fault. Why? Because there's this impulse within us to immediately want to cast blame or to find some sort of reasonable explanation or how did I cause kind of a deal. What about grades or education or I'm a failure? And then you try to go through all your minds and, and, and blaming and, and, well, it's because of this teacher or it's because of bad study or you just go on and on and on. It's because of my, the institution that I'm in or whatever it is. Yeah, I'm talking to you. Uh, there's, there's blaming that happens because when you're going to school and things are, what is that? And then how many of you have battled a sickness or an illness or a tragedy and somebody maybe out of maybe out of love, maybe out of care, maybe out of religious conviction, went to you, came to you, said to you, or your friend, you know, if you only, then maybe this wouldn't happen to you. Causing blame, pressure, trying to find reasonable explanation for these kinds of things. And what I find fascinating, not only in Genesis chapter 1, is there no blaming, there's no reasonable explanation. We find that in Jesus too. In John chapter 9, this man is born blind, if you remember the story. And religious people come to Jesus and say, who sinned, this man or his parents? See, 
This is the impulse within all of us, I think. We want to find the blame. And it's reasonable. We want to find whatever that reasonable calculation is for how, we, how it is that we got here. How did we get to this particular place? How did we get to this chaos? And we want to try to figure that and calculate it. And there's some sort of math going on. And we try to figure all of that out. And I love what Jesus says in John 9. What does he say? Neither. You don't get it. It's not about blaming parents, and it's not about blaming him. Nobody sinned that caused this man to be blind. Instead, he flips it on his head and said, but this is done. This is here. I'm going to choose to see a different reality and a different perspective and a different way to handle, to face this chaos of blindness. God's going to get glory out of this. It's for God to be glorified from this. That's a radically different way from how we naturally are impulsed. And so when it comes to all of these things in life and in injustice and things that just aren't right, things that aren't the way they're supposed to be, my encouragement is simply this. Stop the blaming. And this is going to sound so churchy. Embrace the saving. Uh, you know, you try to find out some, some, some pithy way, some, uh, summing up a sermon or something like that. Some of you just need to be freed from the blame and the shame and the burden of I, I am the cause or they're the cause or whatever is, is the cause of the chaos. Genesis, as well as Jesus, it's, it's an acceptance of. Now, it's not to say that we accept and we just live with it. But it's not to move to that place of finding the mathematical equation for how we got here and then to point the finger and to say, that's the reason. The whole point and purpose is to hover over it and to say, yes, there's chaos. Yes, there's pain. Yes, there's struggle and disease. Yes, there's divorce. Yes, there's all of these things in life that are not the way that they're supposed to be. But is it really productive to point the finger and just simply blame? Or have we been called to something bigger, better, and a greater story? The Spirit of God hovered. Yeah, I will make a fool of myself for you. (laughs) Hovered. And maybe what we need to do, as difficult and challenging as it is, is to hover over the chaos and to say, okay, God, I don't know why. I don't understand maybe the reasons and the rationales behind it. There may be no explanation ever in the world why this sickness, why this divorce, why this failure, why this injustice is happening. I'm going to choose to hover with you over this. And incubate a new life out of it. So question. What is your chaos? What is the thing in your life that you're trying to figure out what the blame is? And maybe, I mean, like, whatever it is. It's a relationship breakup. And now you're trying to blame someone. Well, it was clearly her. Or it's clearly me. And if you go down those paths, where are you going to end up? If you blame her... Or you blame, if you blame her, I'm free of any responsibility. I can totally just bash on the other person. I mean, it's a great game. 
Or if I just blame myself, it's self-deprecation, loss of identity, lower self-esteem, just go down the road. But if you choose a third direction to hover over, okay, whatever it is that this chaos is, whatever it is that this disruption is, I'm going to choose to see new life, new redemption, something come out of this that's beautiful and creative. I can imagine many of you, if you think about some of the things that you've gone through, some of the most painful, difficult, challenging places in your life, some of the things that have hurt you, some of the things that have wounded you, some of the things that have caused your life to be the waters, the chaos, and you come out and through that on the other side with the perspective of God is over this, God is hovering over this, I'll bet you many of you could point to that moment in your life that was painful, that was difficult. And out of that pain and out of that difficult and out of that chaos, something beautiful in your life grew. Something happened. Something new emerged out of that. So my question is simply this. What is your chaos? And can we stop the blaming and embrace the saving that there's salvation to be had in the chaos? Um, Dave's going to come up and just sing It Is Well With My Soul again. I've asked him just to close as a, as a reflection and as a response to this. And I would ask that um, while we pray and sing together, that we would think about whatever it is that is happening in our lives and think about maybe whatever chaos is going on or a recent thing that has happened. And if we continue down the path of blame and shame and trying to figure out that reasonable rationale for how all things are working out, you know, the question is, is, is new life going to come out of that? Or can we say, okay, God, it is well, it is well with my soul. Whatever it is, this is, it is well. And I'm going to trust and believe that whatever it is that your chaos is, God is hovering over it. The spirit of God, the breath of God, the wind of God is hovering over your chaos. And if you embrace that salvific truth, then out of that chaos, something beautiful, something new is going to come. And I trust and believe, um, we trust and believe that in the midst of chaos, God is caring for every detail of what's going on. He's protecting you in that. And he's trying to incubate something new, a new life out of that. Lord, I pray for our church and I pray for everyone in here. And I know that there's lots of chaos. We can't seem to get away from it. Um, But I also pray, God, that we look up from this chaos and we recognize that you are hovering over us and that as you hover over us, there's new life. You are protecting us. You are caring for us. Like an eagle hovering over its young. God, you are hovering over us, protecting us and incubating new life. So God, may we look up May we look up from the midst of whatever it is that we're in and embrace this truth, submit ourselves to you, and trust and believe that new life is going to come and emerge because you are hovering over us. And thank you for being there in our chaos. In your name.